right, Profane Faith fam. Um, we need to have a conversation here today, uh, an important one. Um, so if you're listening to this, you probably, you know, saw by the title that, um, you know, this is about uh, Dr. Jen Buck's book, um, Bad and Bougie, and, um, you know, looking at white appropriation, um, you know, in a lot of different contexts. And so I've brought on two um, contributors to uh, the Profane Faith podcast, um, and uh, they've both been on the show uh, a few times in different forms. And um, I wanted to have a conversation just around what this looked like. Um, and, you know, I realized, you know, because the show is two weeks, you know, I release this episode every two weeks. Um, and, uh, you know, this is not right, you know, right at the same time everything was trending. But I, I it, it, nevertheless, I still feel like just because it's outside of the media cycle and, you know, the media the times that, you know, people's face, I still think it deserves a conversation, um, especially since it's dealing with something that, we talk a lot about on the show, right? You know, uh, ethnicity, race, uh, and hip hop. Um, and I know right now there's a lot of stuff going on, man. There's, this is on the heels. If you listen to this in real time, yet another, you know, uh, mass shooting, uh, of, of a white supremacist, you know, radicalized, um, out in Buffalo, New York. Um, you know, he was going off of the, uh, the replacement theory. I don't know if y'all have ever, you know, looked at that. Washington Post has a couple of good articles on that and looking at the history of it. Um, basically, you know, it says that, you know, the left is, is building up, uh, ethnic minority immigrants and, you know, allowing the borders to be opened to replace white people, uh, in positions of power. Now, you know, most of us listening to this show, I would imagine would just know that's flat out bullshit. But it drives, right? It drives and it's driving this, you know, this fear, this ongoing uh, sense of, of, you know, whiteness is, 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 is better. It is the superior uh, race. It is the way things should be. And, you know, it drives some folks, you know, to take, 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 take matters into their own hands and they um, go out and kill people. And this is, this is a continual, continual thing. Uh, and, and there was another shooting out in, um, Orange County as well. Um, and that one, it, I believe is Taiwanese. I can't remember. I haven't seen all the details cause I'm still trying to get all the details from the Buffalo one. Um, so, you know, th- th- there's, there's a lot going on. Plus I know the Kendrick Lamar <laughs> album just dropped as well. A lot to process there on that one, but I wanted to get back to, to this particular subject uh for a lot of different reasons one um there's so much to say there's so many layers to this um and i don't want to keep y'all long i really do want y'all to hear this conversation i was having uh with the great alanda and sean um and by the way you know for the record i did invite other people to this conversation people's schedules just didn't align with the time of recording um and i am always open to coming back to this conversation um and getting some folks in, including um i you know i had sent out a few e- e- requests to uh uh the um I, you know I'm, for, I'm forgetting her name uh, at the moment cecily bowen yeah, that's her name. Uh, and uh, she's the one who coined um, trap feminism in, uh, uh, with her book, Bad 
Bad fat black girl notes from a trap feminist. Um, but uh, again, people's schedules just didn't align. Uh, so I just wanted to, I appreciated Alanda and Sean taking the time out to come and have this very important conversation because I think, for one, from the academic perspective, there's issues already there. It's like, how did this book make it through all of the checkpoints, <laughs> right? How did how did this book make it through all of the peer reviews, right? Um, this also reveals that, you know, there are no people of color, right, that actually have power to be able to say, no, this book ain't coming out, man. Mm-mm. No. And of course, you know, it's like the publisher, you know, begins to pull it. And for those of you catching up, um, on this, I'm not going to recap what happened. I'll just send you to the show notes. You can take a look at um, all the things. We kind of learn like, what the hell happened? What did I miss? Just go to the show notes and you'll see, kind of get caught up on on what happened with, you know, Dr. Jim Buck, you know, releasing this uh, text. Um, and really is just a complete appropriation of black culture. It doesn't even, you know, cite, you know, who actually needs to be cited right i mean it doesn't even I mean, footnotes cecily bowen right it, it it footnotes so much and i feel like so much of black culture black theology black blackness in general is a footnote if that to white america um and so oftentimes right in the publishing world you know we have to go through hoops to get shit published right um we have to you know show ourselves to be above reproach on all areas um, you know, some of the peer review notes that I've gotten are just vicious. Right. Um, and, and and of course, we get the denial of like, no, you ain't going to publish this, even with research, even with a grant. Right. And speaking of grants, it's like, man, who in the hell at Yale said ten thousand dollars to this is a good idea? Like, seriously? <laughs> Come on, man. And this is just it. Right. This is the bullshit that continues. Right. It's like ten thousand dollars that could have went to a person of color that could have went to a person who was actually doing the work. Right. Um, man, I've been writing about this shit for 20 years. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, no one came to me and talked to me about, you know, this shit, right. You know, nah, fuck that man. Um, this is just more fuckery from white evangelicals, white even you know, white Christians who, you know, claim that they want to be uh, down and, and all this stuff like that. And who the fuck shows the cover of that book? Seriously. Um, yeah, man, you know that you got the Yale thing giving money right to this. <laughs> just like, again, it just speaks to the dysfunction, uh, really in the hatred of, of people of color, especially in the academic environment. If you're an academic, you are, especially if you're a person of color, person of color, you, you're a woman uh, 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 in, in, in this environment, non-binary, you already know the madness that you have to go through, right? Um, just even the bullshit that you got to go through just to get tenured. And then if you leave that spot, the other bullshit you got to do to, to represent yourself, right. As a, <laughs> you know, as worthy of this position. Um, and it's bullshit, man, you know, and all the shit that doesn't get counted. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard the story, um, of, you know, black people, POC folks getting denied tenure, full professorship because their publications didn't count. It didn't meet somebody's criteria. Right. And here comes this book. And like, you know, it wasn't that much on the publisher. Right. Which and again, full transparency. I actually sit as an editor uh, on the Cascade series. My book, Baptized in Dirty Water on Tupac, came out in that publisher. But I never saw as an editor. I never saw this come through. I never you know, it's like, wait, what? 
who greenlighted this shit, man? Uh, and then more importantly, it, if, the, if there were people of color who were objecting to it, obviously no one listened to them. Which goes, again, speaks to, right, the deference of white whiteness um, and the proximity of whiteness to people of color. It's like, your opinion really doesn't count. Like, you know, we'll, we'll have you here just so that we can kind of keep numbers. But, you know, your, 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 your position really isn't all that. Um, and that shit speaks, you know, volumes. It is is loud. And I mean, it, it it's frustrating because I feel like I get tired of being right uh, the, the on the losing team all the time. Every time you look up, it's whiteness. This is whiteness. That is it's, you know, there's no white person here. It's just like, you know, you drive through neighborhoods that you see big ass, nice house. Like, well, I be, I'm, I'm going to assume I know who lives there. Right. And you think about all the things. There was a rapper talking the other day. Oh, man, I'm forgetting his name. He was an underground cat um, putting some stuff. I was on NPR and I'll have to look his name. I really don't remember his name. Um, but he said something just so profound. And he was just like, you know, as a black person coming from from poverty, uh, you know, you you know, you're you're constantly thinking like, is my next move going to take me back to that position of poverty? And whoo, man, that stuff stung, man, because I think about that shit every goddamn day. I'm not making this shit up. Like every day I think was, well, is, is today going to be the day that I get fired? And, you know, because of some white motherfucker that I, you know, didn't like what I had to say. And so it's today the day that they make up some bullshit excuse to revoke my tenure. Uh, it's today the day that then we can't pay, um, you know, our mortgage. And now we're going to end up in some shelter. Um, I think about that shit a lot, man. I think about that, you know, it's like coming from what I came from. It's just like, I even, even, even the house that I'm mortgaging, I think, it, you know, I love it, but I'm just like, man, this shit can be taken away. Um, because there is no legacy, um, you know, in, in, in so many of our families, right? It's just like, my mom doesn't have, you know, 15, 30, 50 grand, you know, be like, okay, here, son, you know, I, I built this up, this type of wealth, I can help you out. I can give you a loan, right? It's like, no, there's none of that. I'm, I'm it. Tupac said it the best. It's like, it's a hell of a job to be 20, 21 years old. Right. And you, the one creating the legacy, you, the one who's, who's supposed to go out and do that and stuff, man. And, and, and that's the thing. That's what really just, just chaps my hide. I'm just like, wow, this shit made it out. If it hadn't been for motherfuckers coming out on Twitter and in social media spaces, making a ruckus about it, this shit would have been canon. <laughs> oh man. So I wanted to have a conversation um, around this book. Um, and we covered it all the good ground, uh, you know, in regards to this, um, a couple things, a couple notes before we get into this conversation. Um, one, uh, there was a request by Dr. Jen Buck, uh, through a, a mutual associate of ours, uh, that I don't do a podcast on this. Uh, and I wanted to put that out there. I think, you know, because most of you know, I'm a huge advocate for women's, women's voice. I don't think men should be speaking in, in a lot of different regards to this. Conversely with that, though, I think when it comes to something like this, uh, white folks don't get get to control the narrative. And how are you going to send somebody as a proxy, right, <laughs> to come and tell me uh, not to do something, right? No, fuck that. Uh, you don't control the narrative. You don't control how this goes down, right? Uh, you know, and it's it, again, it goes back to Aiken, Aiken sin, right? It's like people, motherfucker wasn't even, you know, uh, uh, sorrowful until, you know, until his ass got caught, right? <laughs> and so, um, yeah, no, mm -mm, no, I'm going to do what the fuck I'm going to do, you know? And, and, and if, if 
Dr. Jed, if you listening, you know what I'm saying? If you had come to me personally, right, since you thanked me in the introduction, if you had come to me and been like, look, this is what happened, this is what went down, I'd appreciate it, man, you know, to come out. I've seen no sense of just like, hey, look, let me make a public statement. Like every request to like, she's deleting people and blocking people on social media and shit, man. I was like, no, fuck that. You ain't sorry about your shit. <laughs> nah, hell nah, man. Um, and especially something on hip hop, especially something on, on you know, I've always said, right? It's like, there's gonna be a white person who writes on hip hop theology and it's, and it's or hip something like this, right? And it's just gonna make news and people be like, oh my gosh, I've never heard of this before. You know, thankfully this time it got caught, uh, but I'm not sure about the next time. And for those of you who are like, well, can a white person write about it? We're going to talk about that. In fact, Brother Sean has got a great analogy. I'm going to let him have that because we covered that ground. We also covered the ground of like, oh, oh, you know, well, should her voice be in this as well? It's like, no, hell no. This is this is a black environment. I'm 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 with Brand Nubian on this. It's like white folks are guests and hip-hop y'all are guests okay <laughs> this ain't your shit um even though the powers that be control the radio waves and control right what gets out on in certain levels music is so much more democratized now um hip-hop is a a black and latinx culture um you don't know that you know uh, you know you need to go back to square one and, and get educated um so no, we gonna, we going to talk on some shit and um, we got to have this conversation. I think white appropriation, it doesn't just stop with a book like this, Bad and Bougie. It, it, it goes deeper. Um, it goes into, right, these spaces, um, you know, as I'm applying to new jobs and stuff, right? It's like I look at, you know, the, what was it? The University of Chicago uh, had a position open. I applied to that. I know a lot of y'all probably listen to apply to that as well and stuff, man. And I looked at the department. And I was like, man, it is majority white up in this motherfucker. Right. Applying to Governor State University in the communications department. Again, same thing. Majority white. One black woman. Ooh, I think two Latinx people, you know, out of like 15 faculty members, man. And I'm just like, damn. And it continues to be this case. Right. It's like no matter where you show up. And I get that, you know, Christian higher ed is like imploding right now. But higher ed in general is it is is, is at a reckoning. It's like, how can we have had having all these conversations? How can you have all these positions open on race and critical race theory and DEI and all that bullshit, right? But we still have a majority of white people you know, in positions of power. Presidents, provosts, deans, policymakers. Um, so no, no, this thing goes deeper, much deeper than just a book that was, you know, uh, 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 that should have never been put out, should have never been gotten money, um, you know, in the first place um, that, you know, this shit is, you know, again, it, it, this is this is ridiculous. But this is this is a state of whiteness. This is where we're at. No one thinks anything until, you know, black people, and then with black people here, we got to do, we got to do the emotional labor. We got to do the physical labor. We got to do all this labor then to, 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 to go back and convince right white people. And then they're just like, oh, I didn't know, like motherfucker, like you don't, 2022, really? This is why I refuse to go and speak any more conversations in white spaces about race 101. I ain't the one to come. I ain't the one. Like if you've done your work and you can you can show to me, you know, right, prove to me some of the resources that you've already been engaged in, I, I may entertain that. But I am no longer doing, you know, race 101 conversations. I'm not going to be your nigga to show up. You know, and especially while we still have these goddamn conversations in 2022, here we are, 
right? But it speaks to the larger issue, right? <laughs> Just look at some of the headlines right now with this, this shooting out in Buffalo, um, and you'll see, right? This shit is all connected. If you say, well, damn, well, you know, Jim wasn't, you know, Dr. Jim wasn't uh, uh, killing anybody. No, but this shit was put out there in a way uh, that was just like, hey, you know, I'm the authority on the authority on this. And just like, no, 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 no. And that will essentially uh, imagine if this shit had come out right like 10 years ago, 15 years ago. We I, I'd be having to quote that right now. OK, think about that shit. Um, so a lot to cover. Um, and this shit hits personally, um, because as, as a scholar, as a hip hop head, as someone who's been writing on this stuff, as somebody who's been told that hip hop is irrelevant, that why would you study Tupac? You know, no one even thinks he's, he's that relevant anymore. Right. Right. You know, by white folks. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. You know, these are the things man, that just, just burn me up. And I want you to feel a little bit of this. So without any further ado, let me bring on um, Alonda Clay, who's been on the show numerous times. Same thing with Sean Watkins. In fact, he just uh, was on the show this season. Um, you can go back again. I'll put all those uh, links in the show notes. Highly recommend going to the show notes. WhiteArchPodcast.com. Click on Profane Faith and then you'll see the episodes. Every episode has show notes. Um, click on that and join in the conversation. Um, so here we go, fam. Let's get in it. All right. So we can we can start whenever. I don't know if y'all had questions. Y'all are both contributors, official contributors of Profane Faith. So, you know, we don't we don't have to do any of the. You know, we can we can hop right in, whenever y'all want. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just such a, a rich landmine of discussion here. Uh, <laughs> I I, um, I I had several things that I wanted to hit, but, uh, you know, of course, I'm just like throwing some things out there. Um, I know I kind of wanted to talk about the cultural appropriation versus cultural appreciation, you know, um, and then kind of this, uh, the, the, how can I put it? The, uh, reoccurring colonizing mind of the publishing industry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, we could always talk about citations and the erasure of black women's work, <laughs> especially their scholarship, you know? And, uh, but those are just three things I wanted to hit on, but I am open to begin anywhere. All right. Well, let's start first with impressions and some thoughts as you started seeing some of the news pop up, uh, text via text. I actually heard about it um, from Sean and I have a mutual friend. Tam- Do you know Tamisha Tyler? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay. All right. She she um, she's a good friend, and she texted me and was just like, "Have you heard of this book?" And I was like, well, which one is it? And I was like in the middle of grading or something crazy is going on, and I was just like, "Well, cause, oh, she first started. <laughs> she first started was just like." Because we had put an announcement at AAR and our critical approaches to religion and hip hop. Right. Yes, we did. To do, an, <laughs> to do an author meets critic. Now, I will confess, I came on last minute as to, to fill in a spot as the chair for that position. So I, it, these things were already set. So I was just like, all right, let's just go with it. Let's see if anybody puts anything. And so Tamisha's texting me like, 
what's this going on at, at AAR? And I thought she was asking, like, how do you submit a paper? So, I, so I'm telling her going through, like, this is how you submit it. She's like, nigga, I ain't asking that. Like, why y'all doing this? <laughs> This that is not my question. Oh man, so I was just like, yeah. And then that was when I first I was like, oh, you know what? I was like, somebody sent me a, a copy to, to review that, which is the the PDF that I sent y'all. And I was like, well, I I, I, I turned my I turned my face away from it and I pulled one of those things like, oh, I'll get to it. But I was just like, no, nah, I ain't getting to this, man. So that was my first introduction, and then things just started blowing up. But how, what was y'all's first as y'all started thinking about this? And, you know, obviously now we have the, y'all have the text and stuff. What was what was going on for you? Yeah, I I can uh, jump in real quick. So for me, I think my introduction to it was, you know, I've got uh, we've got mutual friends, Dan, definitely and uh, Jazzy Johnson, Brandy Miller and Erna Kim Hackett. And so good friends with them from our university days together. And uh, Jazzy just sent a text to the group. Y'all see this? And she put the uh, the Twitter link um to like the the lambasting the roasting uh dare i say uh um crucifixion is too blasphemous but the uh <laughs> the dragging through the mud and the throwing under the bus all the way to the muffler of this chick on twitter and i was like what is happening right now like i thought it was a joke like i i didn't think it was serious at all and then brandy who you know is like one of the top five smartest people on the planet <laughs> just went in and I was like, oh wait, Brandy is upset. And then Erna went in. I was like, I this is a moment where as a man, I need to shut up, listen to ladies, because they clearly are hot as fish grease and find out what the heck is going on. And so that was kind of my introduction to it. I really thought that it was a joke. I thought that this was a draft. I did not know that this was a published work until I clicked on the link. Um and so I think um, you know, from my mind tape, we'll keep talking about it. I, for me, I think there's three things. One, um, I feel sorry for this author. Like, um, and we'll, I'll talk more about that in a second too. So please, nobody send me death threats on Twitter. But I feel sorry for her because she got this far and no one stopped her. Yeah. Like, this is clearly, yeah. she says that she is a privileged white woman um, and that you can tell in some respects, she clearly has a love for black culture. She has a love for black music. Cool, great, Merry Christmas. Precisely what you were just saying. Cultural appreciation, Merry Christmas. No one stopped this woman and said, yeah, you you probably don't want to say I am a privileged white woman that has no idea of the context from which I'm coming from, but I'm going to publish a work that identifies and names these realities based on my observations only and from the world of trap music that she just has somehow adopted as her own cultural context. So I think, one, I feel sorry for her because it's like, like your whole theological process and your publication is a hot, horrible mess and somebody should have stopped you. Second is her mentors. Like, uh, as my old dysfunctional pastor used to say, who in hell <laughs> left the gate open? Like, <laughs> like right. what mentors were speaking into her life that said, oh my God, Jennifer, this is, this is robust theological scholarship. We've got to get this published. Like no professors, no mentors, no friends, no women of color in her life. No, no one that worked at the publishing company. Like who... Who were the gatekeepers of sanity to stop this from happening? There were none. And then uh, I think the publishing company in and of itself, the fact that this has been published, this is a work that people will read. Uh, we know from the comments on Amazon, uh, the BIPOC diaspora is stone her. Like we've gone Old Testament, like we threw with all of this. But there will be white people that read this and say, oh my God, this is wonderful. This is great. They are going to build ministries, evangelistic outreaches. Uh, somebody's probably going to use this in their own dissertation. So I think all of those levels for me, it's just, 
it's very troubling. And, you know, uh, she got an MDF from Fuller. So we need to have a conversation about that, too. So and a Ph.D. from a Claremont graduate at the university. I'm like, this just it's troubling at every single level. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think her as an individual, but then precisely what you were saying too, just the erasure of culture, the the commodification of our culture, the erasure of all of these to write about black women from a black woman's perspective, and you are not that, and you launch with, I like hip hop music, so therefore I'm going to write about the perspective of black women. What? <laughs> what? Make it make sense, somebody, please. So th- those those are my initial thoughts. Okay, well, the plot gets thicker with um, how I found out about it. Um, I was actually doing some research on kind of um, digital womanism and uh, black digital feminism. And so I ran into it because, of course, the digital black feminists were dragging her um, back and forth for various reasons. And so... Um, you know, as a librarian, I was like, wow, okay. So my first uh, impulse was to try to get a copy of the book, um, of which, of course, you know, the publisher pulled and apologized for, right? But as I um, began to read more about the situation, I realized that this woman received $10,000 of uh, funding from Yale University to do this research, uh, of which she hired, I assume, some black females to go out and collect some of the information that she um, <laughs> she used in the book. Mm. Um, and uh, And then you know, I I know I read the cover. Of course, the cover is a picture of a black woman with natural hair, um, and so um, I also read it from the perspective of the actual creator of trap feminism, um, who is just reduced to a, a sort of a a mere footnote in the book. I mean, she, she cites this woman. She doesn't use any, she doesn't even read the book. First off, she, she does not read anything about trap feminism. It, or if she does, she does, she never quotes it. Right. She never cites it. And then, um, you know, so again, as a librarian, I, I go to the back. I'm like, what are her sources? What is she using? Um, she does use some black theology, you know, and uh, just a few womanist, but um, it's just clear to me that her treatment of trap feminism is very surface. It's, it's just, it, it doesn't go deep, nor does she enter into conversation with any <laughs> black women. Uh, you know, I mean, other than the ones that are working under her. Yolanda, tell it. Tell it. And um, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh. So that, yeah, so that's kind of, uh, that was my entry into it. But the fact that the publisher uh, immediately made it unavailable. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and I'm talking, you know, libraries had ordered this book. Right, mm-hmm. right. 
uh, who will no longer receive the book. So I had to, I mean, I went through the world catalog. I was like, who actually got a copy of this book before they pulled it? Uh, you mm-hmm. know, uh, but the implications of it are are very, I mean, it really does uh, send a shockwave through the publishing industry for several reasons. Um, one is this kind of, uh, I want to say trauma tourism, Okay. Right? That uh, that it kind of 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 pushes right. It's it's still she's mm. still kind of like the National Geographic explorer. It's a zoo. It she's she's at a zoo, like looking at the worst parts of the natives, culture. Yeah. Right? Um, yes. Yes. And um, so again, you know this. The way in which, I mean, it, the process of it, the uh, legitimation of it mm-hmm. through funding. Like, you couldn't find a black woman, Yale, to <laughs> support <laughs> the right trap feminism. I mean, I'm just not one, not a single <laughs> black scholar could you find. Right. Right. Um, okay. I'm trying not to laugh. I'll, 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 uh, I'll, I'll stop there. And... Well, I mean, I think, I mean, there's one. Right, there's, there's... Could you find one? Right. Anybody. One. <laughs> like a, a graduate student, they first day on campus, just never, not, don't even know nothing about trap music. Can we find a single person? Can you find a veteran expert? Somebody in the middle. One person. <laughs> Did you did you put it out a tweet? Did you send out a survey? Can, just any black woman on earth, <laughs> anybody? Can, can you by chance write about just just trap feminism? Not even getting to the theology part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny because I was just I was just about to do um, eh, feminism. Let's see, um, even. I know y'all can't see this, I, um, but uh, here, I'm, I'm, I just did a basic s- uh, search. Um, let me see. I'm going to, I'm about to show you real quick. I just did a real quick search here. Let me on Google. Uh, presenting while, while you're looking, I, I meant to say the name of the scholar that, that wrote about it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Cicely <laughs> Bowen. Bowen. Right. Yeah. Right. And I just mm-hmm. I just typed in trap feminism and that's the first one out of 7.4 million took me 0.62 seconds. OK. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and, and this is, uh, you know, again, these are just some of the things that I was just like, OK, interesting. And I've always joked about, you know, a white writer is going to write a book on hip hop theology and people are going to be like, Oh my gosh, this is the best thing. I've never heard this before. Uh, this is revolutionary. Where has this research been? Um, right. Um, so I, so I'd be curious for me to give y'all's perspective, just cause you're right. It is an indictment on publishing in general, what has been y'all's experiencing with publishing, especially both of y'all are around the academy, both of y'all are around, uh, you know, settings where folks are putting books. I mean, Alana, you, you, you're, you're in the thick of it and librarian, you and you yeah. in, in the meat of it. Right. 
Um, But what has been, and and I'll say this again, full transparency. I actually sit as an editor on Cascade Books for their series. My book on Tupac came out in that series. I never once saw this proposal in draft form or anything to, to actually comment on that so we can get back to that later but um but yeah what I mean, what what has been y'all because there's I think there's some some big issues surrounding who gets published how they get published you know who gets the attention right yeah I so you know my brain's kind of going in multiple directions here so let me say a couple things one I had to prepare for a, a sermon to preach at church a couple of months ago I forgot what the topic was but it was something that I needed to do research on and you know my fellow nerds we love to be able to read but sometimes you get sick of staring at a book or a screen and like I just need to get out of my house for a minute and so I decided to go to uh, Mardell's Christian Bookstore which I had not been since before the pandemic hit and so Mardell's is here in Austin and you know, but they've got a litany of books there. So I was like, surely I can go over there and find something um, on, I think I was, I think it was researching like the Old Testament and the implications of like, you know, slavery for African-Americans or something to that effect. It's always black culture and Old Testament theology. And there wasn't a single book in there on that particular topic. And so that was the first thing that surprised me that there were zero books written from a black perspective uh, about um, slavery and its theological frameworks for us as black people. Do they exist? Of course they do. But the fact that Mardell's did not have a single one, and but what they did have was an entire section on the 45th president and God's choosing of him. And I mean, there's an entire wall dedicated to that and all of these different voices and perspectives. I mean, from conservative theologians to conservative news pundits, everybody from Fox News, like all of these books are on full display. And I was just, I, I got physically ill. I got nauseous in the bookstore. I was like, yep, yeah. never coming back in there ever again in life. Like we don't have anything from scripture about these things, but Bobby McGillicuddy and all of these racist ideologies, you get 10% off on these. It's like the first thing you see when you walk in. So I think with respect to bad and bougie and uh, Dr. Book, it is just a visceral reminder. For me, it's not an indictment on the academy. I mean, on the uh, publishing industry, it's a confirmation of what we've been saying. Like, like you, you can't say critical race theory is dividing the country, but then you have no checks and balances to make sure that people submit a book proposal that is this foolish, that no one stops and says, yeah, we shouldn't do that. Like ethically, like we cannot do this. And so I think it, it's, a, it's a revelation that this is confirmation. Who controls what books get published, who get marketed, who gets $10,000, like Alonda was just saying, in terms of like equity, because like we want to make sure that this is published the whole nine, like, all of those things are confirmation for that's what's troubling for me. When you talk to these Christian publishing companies, they will always tell you we have a lack of people of color that are publishing and we can call BS on that. We know that there are brilliant theologians that are out there across all of the diasporas, across all of BIPOC. Those voices are muted. They are not believed. Our drafts are not submitted. I've submitted draft proposals for books. A lot of times to InterVarsity Press, I've submitted blog suggestions to Christianity Today. I've submitted all of those things. And it is like a, a meeting at the United Nations. It's an act of Congress to be able to get those proposals through because there's so much Christological feedback, make it palatable for our white readers that I'm like, I give up. Like, I just don't need to at all. So for me, it's a confirmation of those things. It's, it's not an indictment. We know it's a hot, horrible mess. Like you don't get to where we are unless there is some foolishness somewhere. So I'm not surprised. It's the same thing. I'll say this and I'll, I'll pass the mic. It's a, uh, I always talk about it. 
Um, I'm grateful. I have never seen a single episode of the Kardashians, and I'm going to go to my grave. Never seen a single <laughs> okay. episode of All it. All right. All right. I haven't seen one. Not going to watch one ever. Don't know their names. Don't want to know their names. Um, the skinny one that's a model, uh, Kendall. When uh, it was a couple years ago when all the protests were happening, it was a oh. Pepsi commercial. You know, there's protests out there. There's police officers, and what does this chick do? She walks out with a Pepsi, pops open a, a soda can. Drinks it, hands it to the protesters and the cops. I've just solved racism in America. It's like really, like nobody, nobody thought this was a bad idea. That's what I, that's what I feel like with this. Like nobody, like I have a privileged white woman is writing about black women, uh, queer theology, uh, and a subsection of the African American experience. No one thought this was a bad idea. It's I don't. It's not an indictment on her. It's an indictment on the system. The system is failing everyone, and it clearly failed this woman. So, like, she's got some own work to do, but the fact that it was greenlit across all these channels, that's a revelation of what we've been saying is true, that these publishing companies are embedded in systemic and structural racism and the protection of whiteness at any and all costs. They don't even see how white they are, and that is the problem. Well, uh, I wanted to begin with uh, the topic of just like the commodification of blackness, right? The, just yeah. the commodification yeah. of theology, of race, et cetera. To the degree that your experience in that bookstore was what it was, is mm -hmm. because um, between the booksellers who are trying to figure out what's going to fly off of our shelves, literally, mm -hmm. and um, the book publishers who are also trying to figure out which of our publications is going to catch on. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, it functions uh, very similar to the way that uh, rap music did in mm -hmm. the 90s, which was if you if you really look at hip hop prior to, um, I want to say colors, right? Because I was actually living in L.A. at the time, mm. working for Motown Records when colors came out. And so... You talking about the movie and the one was like Ice T, I am a nightmare walking, psychopath talking. You talking about colors, color? <laughs> colors, colors. Yeah, okay. Right. And, and I know Get the lyrics, Dan. I know. I know. People are like, "How old are you?" No, but no, I'm colors. with you. I'm tracking colors. There it is. There colors. It is. We with you. We with you. Uh, yeah, we, we know. know. But, but what happened there is that prior to that particular product. Mm -hmm. coming out and becoming popular, there was a variety of rap music. There was a variety yeah. of artists, variety of topics. And that particular product caught on like wildfire among white listeners. Yeah. And it was that, and when they found out, oh, white listeners enjoy this, mm -hmm. never yeah. mind that it's a stereotype, that it's violent, that it's yep. death dealing to black communities, yep. Yep. right? That it's reifying this kind of drug culture. Never mind all of those things. We can make money off of it. Let's make yep. more of it. Yep. And we're still dealing with that replication of that particular style of rap. Absolutely. Because it is popular among white consumers. White conservative, wealthy consumers. We're yeah. still catering to that gangster <laughs> imagination. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so that brings me back to Dr. Buck. May I, may I say one thing real quick, Alonda? Go ahead. As, as you get ready to throw Dr. Buck under the bus as far as humanly <laughs> possible and off the cliff, um, 
Piggybacking off that just for a second, uh, y'all remember, because clearly we are not Gen Zers on here, so we're about to do all these references that none of these kids know. Right. Remember remember cops that used to come on Fox all the time? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. What you going to do when they come for you? And so, like, they uh, they had the executive producers, uh, I think they were interviewed on a talk show once, and they said, why do y'all only arrest black men on your show or black people on your show? As we know in the hood, I didn't know it was an A-shirt until, like, you know, Probably about 10 years ago, I called it a wife beater my whole life. Like, I walked into Target, where are the what? Nope. Right. Where are the, where are the A-shirts? I was about to, where are the wife beaters? Like, <laughs> men that beat their wives all had those shirts on and they all got arrested. And so they asked the executive producer, why do you only show black people getting arrested on your show? White people commit crimes. Asian people commit crimes. Latinx folks do. He said, our ratings go down when we show white people being arrested. They just... I, no one has a desire to watch those. If you can show black people committing crimes and being arrested, our ratings are always through the roof. So we changed what we show in terms of arrests and criminality because there's a commodification. People enjoy, our demographics enjoy seeing black people arrested. So mm-hmm. I want to be able to say that just <clears throat> to piggyback off what Yolanda said, because it's, it's legitimate. There is this, you know, the black diaspora is broad from Eugene Robinson's disintegration we are a motley crew, a beautiful gumbo, uh, a wonderful tapestry. But what white culture sees and only wants to see, commodify and enjoy uh, describing us as is like the, the worst experiences or they're telling a story as though we are the worst experiences of their perceived perspective. So absolutely. Yeah. Apologize, please. Yes. That being said, now please, what? let's throw uh, Dr. Buck off the cliff and <laughs> under the bus. This, this is from her book. This is in the first chapter. Oh, Lord. A trap queen yes. is a woman who is down for the cause. First sentence. <laughs> she is born in the ghetto. Yeah. Raised, raised in the in ghetto. The ghetto. Mm-hmm. But, but she ain't that ghetto. Come on. <laughs> okay. mm. I'm sorry. Mm. So much truth right there. Whoo, man. Man, that's illuminating. God, she just she just named that black experience. Come on, friend. High five. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what? Yolanda, <laughs> when you were uh, getting ready to join, I was like, I was like hey, um, have you started recording yet? I was like, why'd you make us read this? <laughs> I was so mad that first sentence. I'm sorry. It's your turn. I'm sorry. I'll shut up. Okay. Um, so, have... Ha- Having uh, having had that uh, that inner city uh, childhood experience myself, uh, you know, I can say that she really did tap into the imaginary of hip hop, uh, but she tapped into her own imaginary of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So to me, when I saw, when I read that, um, I thought, okay, as a white consumer of hip hop, you know, she has already bought into this, this kind of gangster um, imaginary. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so she's, what I guess she feels she's fleshing out here is the female side of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. In ways that um, she's hoping will be empowering for who, though, right? <laughs> or who will this be empowering for if uh, not perhaps the 
the trap queen that she has in her imagination as an audience, perhaps. Mm-hmm. 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 So, um, I, I, yeah, okay, I, I'm, I'm very open uh, to a, a response for that. <laughs> Yolanda, I agree with you like 10,000%. Like I, like Dan knows, but I, um, I know I speak, I speak with the Queens English and I do a lot of trainings with, uh, dad's a lawyer, mom's a teacher. Uh, they both had addictions. And so when they got a divorce, we left the suburbs of Houston and we moved into third ward in Houston. And so I went to Douglas elementary, Cullen middle school, Jack Yates high school class of 2000, baby. Um, George Floyd and I went to the same high school the whole nine. He was uh, in my sister, I mean, my uh, my cousin Leslie's class. And so, again, I think that reality to be able to name both worlds, right? We can navigate and dance in both worlds. But people who've grown up in the hood with that inner city perspective, it's always fascinating to me when there are people who did not grow up in the ghetto that try to write and explain um, and articulate the realities of the hood. And they always, 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 always are wrong. Because if, if you're not from that context, it does not make sense. Like, no one in the ghetto wants to be in the ghetto. No one does. Everybody is trying to escape. Everybody, even the worst of these, the ones who, the person who shot 56 people yesterday, if you said today, I will give you $56 million, change your name, and move you somewhere else, get you a different job and education, he is out, she is out like slavery is over. Like, none of us want that. The people who are not in the hood, they think it's something to enjoy. It's like, oh, I, I've seen, I've watched BET for six months and I've listened to all the gangster rap I possibly can and all the trap music. I now understand the black experience. No, you don't. You have a very filtered commodification of that culture, of that experience. And if that is shaping your worldview and perspective, you are going to have some problems. I got into an argument my first week uh, in the leadership class at Fuller because we were talking about leadership and what does it mean, the content of the gospel and the context of the gospel. And it was a white girl in class, I will never forget it, who at the time worked for Fuller. Uh, <laughs> and she said, uh, I've watched, I think she said, I watched all seven seasons of The Wire. And so we just really need to play for the black community. I've what? learned so much about black culture. And I said, I'm sorry, what? If you believe that The Wire is a holistic interpretation of black culture, you are going to have every problem imaginable attempting to speak to pastor meet with and be friends with black people okay and uh my professor okay. was like would you like to say more and i was like i think we need to take a break before i throw something through the window and like uh Elonza, like that's your point it's like this i've seen and observed these things i've heard cardi b i'm gonna quote uh riri and uh young thug and i'm gonna quote all these different uh these different artists and because I've listened to their music, I now understand the black experience. So I, I, I guess I can't do this at all. So, yeah. so it's like, again, being like a literary, this literary uh, explorer mm-hmm. into, into that which is African, into that which yeah. is black, or an audio explorer. Let's, you know, like yeah. this makes my experience an authentic slice of this life, mm-hmm. you know, um, but again, what we're really talking about when we talk about a lot of representations of Black women that deal with trap music, we're talking about an entire representation that is catering to white audiences. 
Mm-hmm. Who mm-hmm. owns BET? Viacom. Right. Okay. Right. And now Viacom is part of Paramount. Okay. <laughs> oh, so, well. So we're still talking about <laughs> white executives crafting mm-hmm. the type of blackness they want us to uh, portray or mm-hmm. accept and mm-hmm. also the type of blackness that white audiences will watch, right? That's why BET has become Tyler Perry Central, okay? Mm. <laughs> Shots fired. Well, she was subtle with that one. That was, that was a rope-a-dope. That's Yolanda. That's I'm, what I love about her. <laughs> she came out of left field. Oh, and by the way, oh, Tyler right. Perry is trash. <laughs> I, I, now, I didn't say he was trash. I just... <laughs> He just, he just opened the bag of trash and let it breathe and let people interpret accordingly. I'm just saying if you go to BET, you will see a lot of Tyler Perry. Yes. palatable to the white audiences they assume are watching. Mm-hmm. And the black yeah. audiences they assume will accept this as an authentic performance of blackness. Yeah. A comedy? Yes. Absolutely. An authentic performance of blackness? You named it precisely. Ah, no. I'm yeah. still tripping off the wire. Like, this girl actually I said saw in your class. face. Man, <laughs> <laughs> shut down, boy. If this was on Patreon, I wish y'all could have seen his face. His whole, like, he had a small stroke. Like, he just came back. He left us for two right. minutes. <laughs> I, I, I needed some, some aspirin and, and Excedrin and methadone all at the same time. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm, and that speaks to it though, right? It's just like, cause mm-hmm. the creator, right? The mm-hmm. white guy, it's almost like he's, I don't know if y'all have seen, what is it? Uh, Bam, not, is it Bamboozled by Spike Lee? Yep. Um, you know, the white guy um, who's just like, I can say nigga cause my wife is black, you know, and mm-hmm. I grew up around John stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's like people were calling him out. Like, dude, like you don't, you don't speak for like black culture. Yeah. You had mm-hmm. a hit show. But there are some elements to that that are that are caricatured. And mm-hmm. I think so. I've been talking mm-hmm. with a cat who used to be the like former senior editor at, at Zondervan, which for those of you who don't know, Zondervan is like, you know, a huge Christian publisher mm-hmm. and Thomas yeah. Nelson and all that shit. And he just told me straight up, man, it's like, you know, black. He's, he was like, you know, he had a counterpart who was telling him, like, you know, black books don't sell. Like, we don't, we're not going to, we, you know, they just, they don't sell. It's kind of the old adage in Hollywood, right, that, you know, if you, you can't you can't make a black movie because mm-hmm. who's going to buy it, you know? And then, it can, mm-hmm. you know, finally Black Panther comes out. And we have some more BIPOC movies out here that, you know, that are mm-hmm. selling out. My point being in, in all of this is that there is a sense of, and it stretches across all of the mediums and all of the platforms, that there's a sense of blackness that whiteness wants and i've always said before because i dare i say this also gets into other people of color who also expect that as well mm-hmm. <laughs> you know i always tell mm-hmm. people when they're like when people want to i don't get that many invites anymore to come preach but when i do i tell them especially if it's at a white church i'm like i don't do the hey and the whole you know don't bring your your hammond b3 organ out just for me i said no. I'm, I, that's not me mm-hmm. so I, I, 
through all of this again. I was like, that was like the wire, man. That was that one got me right there. And this, <laughs> that would that would have made it into my Facebook posts about students <laughs> at the end of the semester. Yeah, it was. I, I, yeah, I want to circle back around. Yes, to, to uh, the publish or perish mm-hmm. being published as a black yeah. scholar, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. getting published, I should say, um, and. Uh, have, having gone through a lot of peer peer reviews and um, having had had my work both um, I want to say um, approved of and sliced up by white scholars yes mm-hmm. um, I think that uh, what is extremely extremely troubling to me is that um, for for this to be a theological work on the black experience that no really her subject was not consulted mm-hmm. so this white woman becomes the voice thereof of the trap queen She's speaking on behalf of her. Mm-hmm. Um, and going through a peer review process, you know, you you have to really closely read how people what the people how people are delivering their critique of your work. Sometimes people don't appreciate the fact that you're critiquing white scholarship. And so you can tell in that response that really this review is all about defending the white scholarship that you're critiquing. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, it's not going to get published by these folks. Mm -hmm. So then you really have to, you really have to, um, figure out where you're going to go with it. Like, Mm -hmm. where are you going to go to get it published or how Mm -hmm. are you going to get it out there? Um, Because the gatekeepers are not always going to open the gate for you. Yeah. Right. And I think there's a, it's a, it's a lack of what we call, uh, I call it mutual accountability. And I think we see this with, um, I'll use the big example of the 45th president and the majority, half the country that did vote, the majority of white evangelicals, white Protestants, white Catholics, voted for the 45th president. And here we are in 2022, we've got midterm elections coming back up. Uh, There was such a strong push for these conversations around racial reconciliation. Everybody wanted to do sermons about it. Everybody was writing books about it and podcasts. And the overwhelming majority of white people who were leaving those spaces did not want to talk about the 45th president at all in any capacity. It was like, I don't want to talk about that. Let's just talk about how we can move forward. No, 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 no. When we do something uh, that y'all deem is crazy or heretical or theologically um, inaccurate, there is a lambasting, there is a critique, there is a, uh, an evisceration, if you will, of our work, of our scholarship, of our leaders. Um, there's this whole conversation right now that Jellicles are very much like, we want to quote Dr. King and they want to bring bring up the fact that he was having multiple affairs to dismiss him entirely. Right. But when we have works like this that come out from white spaces, 
oh, no, 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 no. Let's just pull it. Let's not talk about that. Let's just move forward. It is, it, there's a lack of mutual accountability. And that's precisely what Yolanda is saying. Like it's, it's impossible to be able to say, we are going to cohabit the same space at the same time. We're going to be in community together. If whiteness is the standard that evaluates all things, and this woman's book gets published, but black culture, blackness, the black diaspora, the BIPOC diasporas are not allowed to turn around then and evaluate whiteness and white culture and white mm-hmm. supremacy. So that's just, it's, it's a complete uh, dismissal of our perspective. It's a complete uh, erasure of our voices. It is a lack of mutual accountability. I am still shocked that this girl's book, this woman's book, excuse me, I'm sorry, that this woman's book got all the way to the finish line to Amazon. Right. <laughs> and it took, <laughs> it took right. all of the black people that Alonda said, did you ask any of them that they couldn't find at Yale? It took all of them coming back saying, uh, what does Tony uh, Baker say? What in the haberdashery and hemoglobin is going on here? here. It it took all of that (laughs) for them to be like, oh, I think we've made a mistake. Right. Really? Right. Yeah. And that's and that I mean, and that speaks to to that. Right. I mean, and that was one of the first things that hit me. I was just like, this is a great example of not having black voices, POC voices in positions of power, because it's not enough just to be present, right? Because oftentimes your shit is just, it's silenced out anyway. Oh, don't be, you know, I was I was telling one of my old white colleagues the other day who who has an adopted black 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 girl or black woman as as a daughter. And who, I was just like, you know, I said, the, you know, the white supremacy at this institution is just, just horrible. Oh, what are you talking about? You know, it's like, so do you even have the power to speak into those things? And to say, hell no, nah, this ain't this ain't this ain't getting no green light. Like mm-hmm. even at the proposal level, like this shouldn't be even considered. Like maybe self-publishing, sure, and you can take that on your shoulders and do what you gotta do. <laughs> but that speaks, I think, against the volumes. And going back to what Alana was just talking about, um, in publishing, who gets out there? I mean, in the academy, it's such a cutthroat. In situation, right? Because you're waiting seven years to, to, to even do even get to a point where people, do you like me? Uh, y'all want to keep me? Yeah, you know. And Dr. Ebony Utley wrote a great book. Um, called was it the Gangsters God? She came out in 2011, 2012. Mm-hmm. She's at Cal State uh, Long Beach. Great communication scholar. Um, and I remember her telling me because she went up for uh, tenure and everything. And that book which is an amazing book, well-researched, well-cited. They said it would not count, that it was not academic enough and it yeah. was too popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. And uh, I just had another thought. Please. Um, it's, it's along this line, but um, it's just speaking to the relationship between white feminism and black feminisms. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, um, and this is the whole, this is one of the reasons that black <laughs> feminist and womanist made this kind of departure from feminism general umbrella because white feminists still don't get intersectionality. Mm. Right. And that is, that's just, so that's just another power play. Really, right. this is a power play. Right. Because as, as a white feminist, she should have got, she should have gotten 
that this was not a shared power situation. Yeah. That, that this was her her portrayal, right, of black feminism. And yet, you know, yeah. here we are. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, and and so part of that, I'm right in, in, you know, when you think about, again, publishing, you think about the process, the fact, like Sean just said, he got all the way to Amazon um, and the fact that there's here's the other side of it. OK, they pulled it. But how many other works are out there that are just complete crap? Like I'm like, really, do we need to hear one more white guy talk about prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit? Like, God damn, like, you know. And I remember when I I first approached, you know, uh, uh, publishers about, you know, hip hop and they're like, oh, the market is saturated. And I'm like, nigga, y'all got like 15, 30 books out here, like on white guys talking about Gen X and postmodernism and shit. Like what more can be said? But y'all just keep putting these books out. And it's the same thing. I get these things from IVP, from Baker, and it's the same theological madness. We are, especially in... In, in Christian theological publishing, we can write books about race and, oh, the spirit of forgiveness and racial reconciliation. But don't you dare touch the actual books that actually get used in seminaries, that actually get used in these places. You ain't going to write on that. You know, we still going to keep that nice and colonized and 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 stuff. And it's the fact that this book was able to make it that the publisher is actually like, oh, uh, sh- well, shit, that's going to hurt other book sales. Fuck it. Let's just pull it. Let's just pull it. We'll just, oh, we're so sorry. Or, oh, we're, you know, issued the apologies. It's what I call Aiken sin, right? It's like Aiken wasn't even, you know, caring about shit in the Old Testament until, you know, Joshua, whether you believe Joshua was real or not, I, I don't care. The story still stands, right? It's like, you know, Joshua was like, your ass has got shit hiding up in there. And that's when Aiken's like, oh, fuck, man. I'm sorry, man. You know. And God was a cold motherfucker back in the old days, man. He cursed him, his children, the ground, the kitties, the beetles and shit that was around him, man. I was like, They God. stoned everything. The <laughs> right. dogs, the sheep, the cows. Everything that you were affiliated with has to be killed. <laughs> right. the, the blades of grass that you walked on up here, right. burn it all. It's like, God, dog. Right. <laughs> so, go ahead. So I, so, I had two thoughts. One was just on, uh, I, I had been thinking about this the other day, just the miseducation of black folks within theological education. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was one thought. And um, my other thought is on um, the, the accountability again, that Sean was talking about. Uh, and in that Wiffenstock, um, they said, Oh, you know, we definitely ap- apologize. We need more, more black female voices, et cetera. But to a certain degree, this rings uh, about the same as the accountability that that corporations said they would do after Mm -hmm. the quote unquote racial reckoning and Mm -hmm. George Floyd. Right. What they have yet to do. Right. You know, Um, so so we know that the uh, the admission that it needs to be done doesn't actually yeah. lead to it being done. So uh, those those were kind of uh, two tangents. Um, I think with with theological education, I mean, I've 
because I am in theological education and because I've, I've been dealing with it for a long time as a black female, um, I just, uh, I just imagine that this, this book would, would this book be considered part of the canon of, of womanist thought of black feminist religious thought? Mm-hmm. Would it be mistaken for that because of the book cover? Would this have been something that a professor would have said, oh, yes, this needs to be included in my syllabi because, uh, you know, uh, we're trying to be diverse here. <laughs> the only reason this got pulled is because of Twitter and social media. If right. you go back 60 years and there is not a national voice to be able to speak into these things, mm. this would be used at evangelical Christian institutions around the country. Like around institutions. Well, yeah, and probably translate into different languages, like without question. Like, I, I agree with you completely. Like, I want to say two things piggybacking off of you. One thing that she talks about, one, I took notes and wrote down the same thing you said to the her opening sentence about a trap queen. I was, I want to throw up. Like, it took me 10 minutes to go back to the book. Um, she defines liberation theology. She said, liberation theology serves as a model for changing the image of God. That's not true personal relationships and human identity within the black community. Lies, heresy, not true at all. Womanist liberation theology provides a framework to help black women see, affirm, and have confidence in the importance of their experience. I'm not going to say whether that's right or true or not, but she needs to have some women of color to do that. It's not my job to say if this is uh, what women actually believe. I will not do that. But again, I know my context, so I'm not going to try to speak for women right there. The black women in my life, I, I, they'd have some questions about that. I mentioned all that to be able to say, uh, a good friend of mine, Erna, Immaculate, she was telling me that I need to buy this book, which I did. It's called The Trouble with White... Why am I showing this? This is a podcast. It's called The Trouble with White Women. <laughs> you can show it. You can I show it. It's called The Trouble with White Women, A Counter History of Feminism by Kyla Schuler. And uh, Brittany Cooper did the forward. And if you know Dr. Brittany Cooper, she she don't pull yeah. her punches. Yes. If you were the truth, she will affirm you. If you were not, uh, you you have not been uh, eviscerated until Dr. Cooper comes for you. And so one of the things that uh, the book talks about is the reality that whenever you have these significant events that have happened in Black culture, there has always been a white woman in history to come alongside and tries to commodify Black culture. Harriet mm -hmm. Beecher Stowe, when she's writing Uncle Tom's Cabin, she sends a letter to Frederick Douglass saying, can you tell me about your experience as an enslaved person? I need that experience to make Uncle Tom's Cabin more realistic when I talk about slavery. Mm. Mm. That is what this woman is doing. There has been this experience of black culture that I know nothing about. Let me gather the cliff notes and the post-it notes that are at like the edges of my experience. And I'm and going to write an entire black, dissertation. Send some black women out too. Since yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I'm gonna write a whole book on it. I'm gonna write a whole book on it and end it wonderful. And everyone said, right. that is brilliant. I'm like, no, no, there's, it's appalling. It is utterly appalling. And again, I think, for those of us that are in the academy and trying to do this work, you recognize that's what we have to confront. We have to right. confront that when we get ready to teach a class, when we present a syllabus, when we present an outline for um, either a, you know a blog post that we want to be able to write on these Christian publishing websites. If we want to be able to present an outline for a book, you can see in this book, uh, Bad and Bougie, you can see this gets a green light. 
for all of its racism, for all of its erasure of culture, for its commodification of the Black experience, for uh, this woman's inability to recognize her own reality, her lived experience is one whole sentence. And then she spends the rest of the book talking about Black folks. I am a privileged white woman that didn't live up, didn't live in this experience, but, and then she quotes Audre Lorde and uh, Kelly Brown Douglas. And that is it. She has one sentence on her experience, but she's got however many pages this book is on the Black experience. That's what we have to go up against. People who don't know their own culture and their own context, but because they've been to the zoo, because they've been to National Geographic, and we read National Geographic because they've been on a missions trip somewhere in the inner city and into and on a safari to Africa, which they think counts, they now have a ubiquitous understanding of Black culture and therefore can dictate the terms of what is published and used uh, and identified as robust theological scholarship. That's my favorite phrase for white <laughs> academic theology. It's robust theological scholarship. That's yeah. also colonizing. It's just it's colonizing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, was, I was just thinking the colonizing <laughs> of the theological mm. mind. I was yes, it. thinking yes, it. that, you know. Um, and And, oh man, you know, when you started, Daniel, when you started talking about uh, it being translated into different languages and taught in all of these <laughs> evangelical sermons, I said, my God, I was just like, what depth does it go to? There is a white missionary somewhere on the way to North Korea trying to live for the gospel. 60 years ago, they'd have had this book in their backpack. Let me tell you about the black experience in America and why you need Jesus. You already, You can see it. Right. If it wasn't for Twitter, this thing would be everywhere. It'd probably be a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> even as little as 12 or 13 years ago, I think that would have been the case. Yeah. I mean, we don't even right. have to go back 50 years. We can, we I can go back. I was trying to be nice. Was yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this would have been, and you know how the Academy works. You have to cite those people. because you, you know, She may not be able to cite folks, but for us, we got to be able to incite them. Alonda, going back to what you, you were saying, I... I have experienced that same critique when it comes to the peer review, right? It's, you know, and I'll never forget, you know, I remember these, this one, this was for my, 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 I think my third book, the hip hop's hostile gospel. I remember one of the reviewers, I mean, they went in, it was like eight pages, single space. And I'm like, God damn, like this, this motherfucker is just like, and then at the end, literally one sentence, like, well, I'm not even really sure. I'm not an expert in this area, and I don't know that much about hip-hop. <laughs> I was like, I can just tell you're white. I, I, that's, that's, I can just tell. Like, that's just the, the way you put that period yeah. there. I'm like, well, now, now, okay, so let, let me play devil's advocate Come on. for a minute. Come on. You know, devil's mm -hmm. advocate. Some would say, well, you know, do you... Do you have to be black to do black theology? Do you have to be white to do white theology? I mean, uh, is, is it what, how do identity politics play into uh, what you can explore as a scholar? And um, I, uh... <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to do the devil's act. Yeah, no. I'm trying. Yeah. I yeah. got you. Uh, uh, for all of the listeners for Profane... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Please continue. No, I'm go sorry. ahead. I'm done. I'm done. Uh, for all the listeners of Profane Faith, uh, just fast forward two minutes because you've heard this story before. So 2016, uh, <laughs> Philando Castile and Austin Sterling were killed same day. And uh, I called my boss for the company I worked for at the time. I was like, I need a vacation. I went away for a week. 
and came back and I, I Googled martial arts studios here in Austin and I found a, a Tai Chi and Kung Fu studio and was like, I need to break things legally or like, I'm not going to make it. And so I started practicing Tai Chi in 2016, got my uh, first three black sash in December of 2018. Um, we had to learn 108 movements, long form Tai Chi. It's 108 movements that are both a fighting and a defensive posture. Uh, you can do it fast in 10 minutes and you can do it slow for 30 and you have to learn both. And so, but when for your first year in that course, they only teach you the first 20 moves. And I was like, a year for 20 moves? I, I think I am smart. Like I can learn 20 moves in a month. Uh, it took me two months, but that's not the point. <laughs> I learned them. And I was like, all right, I'm ready to move on to the intermediate advanced class. They were like, no, you're going to stay in the beginning class for a year. I was like, but I learned all 20 moves. Let me show you. I demonstrated and they said, yep, that's all 20 moves. You're still going to stay in this beginner class. I was like, can I come to more? Nope. Can I get a preview of what's to come? Nope. Beginner class for a year. And I got hot. I was pissed. So I went to uh, 24 Hour Fitness, those dance studios with the mirrors and oh, 360 yeah. direction. Uh, went there by myself. I was like, I just keep practicing. No one else was around me. And I saw myself for the first time with no one else in the room. And I went running back up to Master Girl Ring's Tai Chi Kung Fu Studio, bowed in and said, why didn't y'all tell me I suck? I saw myself for the first time. My shoulders were out of whack. My hips were disjointed. I was walking the tightrope. That was the ugliest thing I have ever seen in my life. Why didn't y'all tell me I was trash? They laughed so hard at me. And uh, Master Go Ring, white guy, eighth degree black sash in Tai Chi and Kung Fu, been practicing for 40 years, went to China, lived under the Yang family for like 20 years to make sure that he understood and wasn't commodifying the culture. He said, Sean, when people come into this school to learn martial arts, they say, show me how to punch, show me how to kick, show me how to attack somebody. In other words, practice, practice, practice. He said, nobody is focused on posture. And that's why we keep you in the beginner class for a year. We're not correcting your practice. We're correcting your posture. We're showing you how to stand, how to walk, mm. how to carry yourself. Because we have discovered if your posture is right, your practice will take care of itself. But if your posture is wrong, you will hurt yourself and everybody else. And Yolanda, I think that's the point. Can white folks, white folks write about black theology? I personally don't have a problem with it. Some folks would. I don't have a problem with it if their posture is right. If you come in saying, I was white, privileged, had no idea about these things, and I got into some cross-cultural relationships. I learned about black culture. I learned about Asian or Latinx culture. I experienced displacement. I stayed in that community long enough that my money and my power and privilege could not affect change. And I discovered the realities of what it means to be a person of color living in the United States. And I'm going to write a book, not uh, to steal and usurp the voice of marginalized voices, but to say to white people, here's how we need to show up. Here is the posture change that we need to have when we have these conversations. That's fine. This chick doesn't do that. I'm white, I'm rich, I like trap music, and I'm gonna tell the world what they don't know about black feminist trap queer theology, and isn't it wonderful? There is zero posture change in this woman. She doesn't know who she is. She doesn't know where she's coming from. She doesn't know what context she's writing to. She doesn't even understand the context that she's writing about. And that gets greenlit. There is not a fundamental posture change in white society, Christian or secular. Uh, what is it? Uh, profane or faith. <laughs> they they failing across the board. And that's why we get foolishness like this all the time. It's appalling. That's good. That's good right there. Um, whew. I, there's, again, there's so many levels to this, right? There's the publishing. There's the representation. 
I'm with it. I'm with the de- de- devil's advocate. I think because I, I was reading some of the, the you know, because the New York Times obviously, you know, picked this up and was just like, you know, publisher recalls this and stuff. So I was like, all right. I went against my own word. I was like, well, let me read some of these comments. What are people saying and stuff? And I was like, I usually normally don't read the comments, but it was interesting because, you know, it's the same people, right, with the, 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 you know, with the four followers, MAGA loving and everything, who were like, well, why can't, this is the problem, right? They're probably, you know, critical race theory this, and why can't white people write about this and this and this and that? So I was just like, I love the idea around the posture. That is, that's deep. I mean, because I, 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 yes. I mean, and I think about just even in my own department and where I'm at and all the things that I've had to do to get to where I'm at. Um, and I, I say this a lot cause I'm just like, man, when I was coming through and I had a report to department chairs, man, department chairs had like, they were the final word of God. I mean, you know, above them was maybe like just the <laughs> Dean and uh, the Holy spirit. And that was it. Right? That was it. Shit. But then when I become chair, now it's like, oh, well, yo, no, we can't prove that. No, 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 no. You got to get this requisition order to get that, you know, all way. Why are you spending this on that? And I, I'm just like, what? <laughs> so mm-hmm. all that to say, I think that it's, it's interesting um, to see just kind of, the, the, again, the different layers and structures of this. This, like you said, this thing got greenlit. Um, that at some point, if had it not gotten pulled, you know, it was a print on demand. So at the end of the day, you know, it wasn't like they were going to, you know, oh, shut the factory down. I was just like, well, it's P.O.D. So, you know, <laughs> you know, so it wasn't a big move going back to what Alana was talking about, this reckoning. It wasn't like a big like, oh, shit, we're we're hiring, you know, five yeah. new P.O.C.s and they're going to be like senior editors and we figuring this shit out. You know, it's like, nah, nah, we'll just pull it. We're sorry. We'll learn more. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Like that. Uh, what, what's my boy say on The Simpsons? Uh, a fact-finding mission to be able to find out what happened. The mayor on The Simpsons, Mayor Quimby. We were going on a fact-finding mission. They're never going to do nothing. So I'm sorry, you wanted to go for it. I, I was just going to say that the other part of this is that, you know, this is, a, this is the bind of Black scholars and scholars of color, too. I'll throw that out there. To that... A dependency on, you know, mostly white-ran academic publishing venues mm-hmm. in order to legitimate and validate our scholarship. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I know that there are a few journals, you know, where the you know, the editors are African-American and the topic is African-American, you know, certainly those journals, like the Journal of Black Theology is an example, mm-hmm. Journal of Africana Religion, you know. But we don't really, it doesn't really extend to book publishing. Mm-hmm. And that that is problematic. Um to the degree that we we don't have that as a why can't we do our own print on demand stuff you know if if cascade and Wiffenstock can do it why why don't we have anything like third world books you know mm-hmm. yeah um so that that's the other part to it i mean we it's not as though 
you know, we've had our first generation go through and the second and the third and the fifth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and yet, you know, we're still waiting for um, Rutledge and mm-hmm. yeah. Taylor and Francis to to validate it. Yep. Woo. Yeah, let that one sit on you. Hey, I'm, I'm speechless. I'm like, she's right. right. Mm. And I think, too, like it's I'm, I'm, I agree with you 100 percent. And I think piggybacking off of you, I think it's I think what the the takeaway from one of the takeaways for me from this whole process, I think, is um I had an African-American history professor when I was at UT, Dr. Juliet E.K. Walker. She used to always tell us the federal government giveth and the federal government taketh away. Whatever laws and regulations that are passed to give full rights to African-Americans, within one generation, they will either be rescinded or gutted. Mark it down. And she said, just test me over the course of your life and see. And so you're like, we are recording this after... um, Somebody got pissed off uh, in the Supreme Court back office and pulled that document out the trash and yeah. said, hey, by the way, yeah. in May, they're going to overturn Roe v. Wade. So y'all just kind of prepare yourselves. Mm-hmm. We need an investigation. Who leaked this? Uh, they played chess. They stacked the courts. What did you think was going to happen? Every conservative right. law that has not passed, they about to pass all of them until these fools start passing away. And so I think it's it's the reality of naming um, like white supremacy is very much alive and well in the United States of America that we in 22 years into the 21st century have to go back to uh scholastic uh the academic publishing company and no you can't call african enslaved peoples uh indentured workers or uh migrant workers right no they were slaves they were enslaved peoples to our christian publishing companies you can't publish uh bad and bougie like we are going to have to go back and have these basic conversations that there still is a conflict of the narratives of what is america and what happens in this country and it very much is there is still a colonizing a co-opting a retconning of history of theology that we are not just dealing with the in the past we're dealing with it right now mm-hmm. and that is a part the fact that we don't have black publishers the fact that we don't have black people in power or bipoc in power or women of color in power especially to be able to speak into these things, that's deeply problematic. And I hope, I think it's worse. I don't I don't know who works there. Um, I, there's probably one token that's there, maybe two. There probably is one or two people of color that are there. They either one or two things. They are so colonized, they didn't see a problem with it. Or like all of us have experienced, they weren't believed when they said, don't do this. Like right. this is not going to happen. I have to believe that someone, mm. the cleaning lady or the executive vice president that just got hired or the black friend that was there for lunch that happened to glance at the laptop or look at the manuscript on the desk, somebody had to say, don't do this. And they weren't believed. That's worse. We are not believed on the front end. It's only after everything hits the fan. And of course, you know, this publishing company, Dr. Buck and everybody else, that this is phone a black friend right now. Can you please come help and help put out this fire? And it's like, no, no, we don't put out fires that we predicted. We told you this is gonna be a hot, horrible mess. We finna pop some popcorn and uh, watch Rome burn. Like we not finna do this right. at all. But y'all gonna learn today. We're like we're not. It's, it's ridiculous. It makes no sense. She even talks about family. There, she talks about white slaveholding, Christianity, structures and relationships, violence, reproduction. She actually names in subcategories some possibly good topics. Her posture, who she is, how she writes, trash. 
And I'm like, and no one stopped her. That's what we have to deal with all the time. It's mm. not that we don't have theologians and qualified can't like when Barack Obama ran for president and there was a narrative going around like white Christian, white conservative, white evangelical circles. Oh, the African-American community has finally produced a qualified candidate to be president. We've had qualified candidates since we got here. This is just one that was palatable enough for y'all. Right. Right. That's it. Ooh, mercy. This I want to be uh, cautious on time. I know everybody's moving and grooving because I could. I was just thinking, Dan. I was like, and we could go on. Oh, ow, oh my gosh. I mean, this exactly. I mean, because Dr. Buck is all our supervisors, right? It's like you know, them's the ones. I always I joke with my students. I'm just like, but y'all said y'all. It would y'all would come back and be my supervisor. Y'all would, y'all would, y'all would, that, that's, that's the level of, of, of shittery. And, and I'm not joking when I say that in mm -hmm. our institution, we mm -hmm. had a student who graduated, went and got his master's then came back mm -hmm. and was supervising an African-American woman mm -hmm. <laughs> who was once his professor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, final thoughts on this as you're, as, as we're summing this up. Now, I'm from the Confederacy, ladies first. <laughs> <laughs> that brother's Confederacy. Oh, it's just history. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, boy. You know. Leave those statues up. Um, I, I think in many ways, <laughs> you know, because decentering whiteness is such a such a slippery task. And you know, this book is both an example of the, I won't say inability, but the unwillingness right. to decenter whiteness when clearly trying to try an attempt to do cultural appreciation was made. Mm -hmm. And yet, um, you know, the same cultural uh, appropriation is the product thereof. Mm. Now, I, I don't know, Dr. Buck. I don't know what degree that she did this as an act of good faith or bad faith. Um, but I do feel that... Um, her positioning, to know her positioning and yet still not decenter herself. Um, is perhaps a, the most egregious act of hubris. Mm -hmm. Now to say that there are also all of these structures all of these um, institutions that supported her in this, uh, you know, in her effort to <laughs> evaluate and articulate trap feminist theology <sighs> are also culpable. Um, it's just to 
reiterate the the reproduction of white supremacy happens on all levels. Um, I I agree ten thousand percent. I I think there are there's two things I want to be able to say. Um, one, there was a, a CBS news. Y'all know I, I tell stories to kind of illustrate my points because I can't be linear. I get it from my parents. Um, as a CBS news correspondent, he was on Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Uh, just two quick stories, now be done. And um, they were talking about January 6th and the insurrection. And Colbert was like, what's going on with the Republican Party right now? Like, you know, they were ducking under chairs too. Like they were horrified for their lives. Hang Mike Pence. He was the vice president of the United States. They wanted to like hang him. Uh, they weren't just coming after the Democrats. And so what's happening right now that as we're investigating all these things, the Republicans are like, nah, water under the bridge. Don't worry about it. It really wasn't that bad. And with this correspondent whose name escapes me, he said, it's like you have a heart attack uh, and you go to the hospital and they bring out the, car- the crash cart and they, you know, put the paddles on you and restart your heart. And it's like, oh, the system worked. And it's like, no, yeah, they restarted your heart. But you still had a heart attack. Like, we need to find out what happened in order to actually fix the problem. Like, mm. the crash card wasn't the problem. The system worked. But you you have a major problem. He said, with January 6th, the system worked. We had police there. We were able to protect those elected officials barely. We still had a successful transfer of power. But the fact that we had to pull out the system in order to keep moving forward is a fundamental problem. Th- this is a crash card. Like, the system barely worked and that the books got pulled. But the fact that it got this far, that is a fundamental problem. Like there's, we have to be able to address the fact that it got all the way that far, that no one stopped this from being published. And it wasn't until the audience and the culture from which uh, she assumed that she was speaking about said, what in the haberdash and hemoglobin is this? They said, oh no, we'll pull it and kind of call it a day. So I think that's like, that is a massive, massive, massive problem. and then the other thing that I would say, too, very similar to that as well, too, is um, Jimmy McGee, who is the president of Impact, right, a black group that broke off from Young Life. He spoke uh, in San Marcos a couple of months ago, and he has stayed with me. And it goes back to what Yolanda was just saying at the end there. Um, not just that the system failed us, we have to evaluate that, but the people who are culpable and responsible for this. And Jimmy uh, was, uh, he was speaking from Jeremiah 1 and talking about planning a ministry there, but he said something that has just stayed with me. He said, um, Campus Crusade was founded in 51, Intervars in Young Life in 1941, Navigators in 1931, Youth for Christ in 44, Youth with a Mission in 1960. And these leading Christian organizations um, you know, InterVarsity right now, I think, has 50,000 students involved. There are a quarter of a million students, 250,000, that go through Young Life's leadership camps every summer. These organizations have been around for decades. Uh, and so, like, when we do the math, these are millions of students that have come to these organizations, cradled to the grave, from, you know, middle school, high school, college. They've been on staff. They're missionaries, all these different things, he said. And we also have a, a country that is divided on race um, based on their faith. And so you have millions of students that go to these organizations and their theology does not include race and ethnicity. It's not, are these organizations culpable, but rather how culpable are they? And I think that's the indictment. This is not just about Dr. Book. And again, in some respects, my heart goes out for her because she really probably thought she was doing her best. She probably really did. I'm I'm going to assume and hope that she is in the fetal position right now because this body of work that she really thought was going to be great has been lambasted. 
And so I hope that it is humbling for her. It is humiliating. I hope it's humbling for her and that she does change. But the, all of the responsibility is not on her. This publisher, her mentors, the seminaries, the academic institutions that shaped her theological framework, her friends and her community, every level that she got greenlit in order for this to be published have to bear the culpability of this. This is not 100% on her. There, were, there was a cascading failure and that has to be dealt with. Uh, the system worked, the book got pulled, but we still need to address the elephant in the room. And until we do that, there will be, a, there's another Dr. Book writing another book right now. Right now. Right now. <laughs> that Tight somebody on Twitter, look, confident, got up at 6 a.m. this morning, <laughs> drinking coffee, didn't even kiss her husband. Put it, just put, getting up, writing and believing God by faith that she's got the next great book. Putting pictures on Instagram. Put, come on, fool, look. Doing, <laughs> doing TikTok videos about how lit it's going to be in these streets, yo. And we're going to put all of them in the fireplace in six months. Like that's, we have a problem. We have a problem. Now, I just want to throw this in there. Please. A lot of this is possible because of our use of Twitter and social media. Don't yeah. say it. Okay. Don't, don't say it. Oh, I know. She don't. <laughs> Which is going to change. <laughs> it's going to change shortly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, we're looking at you, Elon. We're looking at you. Right. <laughs> right. That's right. That's the you, you make good cars. Twitter, do you think that this type of critique, this type of activity would have taken place without social media? Right. I mean, hmm. And that's that's the tension I always hold with social media, even within all my critique of it. Um, the reality of it is, is that that space has been a powerful space, particularly for black voices and for 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 some actionable change, you know, to happen. And yeah. Um, yeah, that's a whole nother conversation by Elon. Don't 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 get me on brother Elon. The first who who's who's that? It? He's the first black uh, tw uh, owner of a social media or the first African uh, African American. And he calls himself an African American. Yeah, uh, because he's from South Africa right. uh, and grew right. up during apartheid. Right. Uh, therefore, right. That's uh, that was his his reasoning for that. I'm sorry, you 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 were wrapping us up. No, wrapping. no, 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 no. Like I said, yes, that's a whole other conversation. Because when I saw that, I was like, wait. And somebody that you know, the right was definitely tweeting about that. I was like, yeah, see, we got the first African American on a multi-billion dollar um, um um corporation. What got me? I'll say this. I know we try to wrap up. What got me is that somebody said if you did the math and you were to make two hundred thousand dollars a day, a day. Which I personally don't even make in a year, not even close to in a year. But if you got that a day, tax free, from the time Columbus got here, right to to current, you still wouldn't have enough money to buy Twitter at the forty four billion. Mm -mm. That I had to do the math because I was like, oh, this is fake news, and I busted out my 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 Apple. You know, I had to turn it on the side because these are big numbers and shit. You know what I'm saying? I was like, damn. So it does reckon to stuff of who gets to be a billionaire, a billion. Well, they, they said he can give everyone in the country a million dollars. Everybody in the country, he can give us all a million dollars. He still has seven billion left over. Right. See, and that's like this. It's this Scrooge McDuck money. It's money to swim in. Like we, it's unfathomable. So. Right. 
And I don't want his money because we see the problems that it's caused for white people. They can keep it. Like, I'm not, they can oh, keep yeah. it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I hear Tell you. Uncle Joe to wipe off our student loans. That's all I need. I don't I don't want it. That's yeah. that's what yeah. I'm I, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, man, wipe them damn student loans out, man. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of beef on that. Um, thank you so much to both of y'all. Thank you um mm-hmm. for taking the time and sharing your thoughts. Um, and I think this has been a great conversation. I don't know Dr. Buck that well either. I've met her a few times. She presented one time in car, I believe, a few years back and whatnot. Um it, but for me, I'm just like somebody was just like, oh, you know, all these, you know, Christian events, everybody's, you know, you know, kind of harping on them. I was just like, good, we should. I mean, this shit should burn down. We've been talking about this shit for a long time. And in 2022, we still have this stuff coming. Now I'm like, let it burn to the ground and we can come in with a Mac uh, uh, tractor and just, just uh, uh, you know, exhume the ashes. So those are my thoughts on that. Yeah. We've given as much grace as we could. Exactly. Exactly. If if you can, uh, you ought to see if you can find a burn, baby, burn disco inferno and let that be the outro, like for the episode or something. Just like let it burn. I will. I will. I will. I I don't give a shit about no copyrights either, man. It's just education. That's right. That's right. Just a small small clip so they can't come for you. Just a small, just the beat. Just the beat. That's the beat. That's That's it. it. I'm going to put it on there. Well, thank you for inviting me to put, be a part of this conversation. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you both. I appreciate it and appreciate your time Humbled and insight. Humbled and honored. Thank you. Humbled and honored as always. Just truly grateful. 